And we do the we do the decalogue. Yeah, we do the the litany on the first Sunday in Lent, um, and I think we're going to sing it this year, which would be cool. And then or chant it, and then we do sacerdotalism. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Yeah, great, Nick. Thanks. Well, well, fellas, how far along are you on your faith deconstructions now that Charlie, the (laughs) half-male, half-female, dual-gender stick bug, has been discovered? (laughs) That was the final, the final <laughs> stick, as it were, um, uh, for me, because I have been wrestling, holding on to my fingernails about whether God truly did exist, and then I saw a half male, half female stick bug, <laughs> and all, of, all of my fears just came crashing down, and I really just haven't left the house since reading about it. And they never told know. me about that with the flannel grass. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. My, my pastor withheld this information from me and committed spiritual. I mean, it's violence. one thing so. with the turtle. <laughs> But I mean, how could a loving God create a (laughs) half man, half woman stick bug? Clearly, there is no God. (laughs) I mean, that's the level of argumentation. I mean, I got that. I forget what that the website I I sent that to you from, but it was like it's like jubilant. It's pink news. It was jubilant. It was like you know, there was and there was great rejoicing all around. (laughs) But that's the thing is. They're not using it as evidence that there's no loving God. They're using it as evidence that God loves half male, God, half right. female stick bugs, that's and therefore you should to be one too. Or maybe the that's way. the maybe that's the missing link. Maybe that was that's the whole evolutionary process. Like this, but we've been looking in the wrong. We've been looking for the frosh, but what we really should be looking for is the. Uh, non-binary stick bugs that's what that's really was the final there weren't any of those on the galapagos island but had there been you know the world would look a lot different so anyway well not too far along answer to your question not not not, further along not not too far okay (laughs) that's fair enough fair enough well well guys um with ash wednesday fast approaching next week and lent of course immediately following after that we thought we'd take this week on stand firm to discuss those practices and celebrations Uh, what we do, why we do it, and whether or not those reasons for doing it are any good. Now, Matt, you got into a genteel for you Twitter conversation with R. Scott Clark, professor at Westminster Seminary in California, when he seemed to accuse churches like ours in, in quote, tweeting you personally, of, quote, (laughs) playing at sacerdotalism. Now, I'm sure we'll talk on this episode about both the good and the bad potential outcomes of an observance of Ash Wednesday and Lent, and exactly what an appropriate observance of those both might be. But why don't we start at the beginning? What is Ash Wednesday? What is Lent? And why are we observing them? Wait, can I just say, point out the fact that Matt has crossed the 2000 Twitter threshold, mm. follower threshold, which, you know, I think puts him on Scott, our Scott Clark's radar. I mean, I think this is where, you know, well, we're going to have to start treating Matt much more seriously. We really are. I, that's I think right. that's right. I do think that's right. You, you, I mean, that's, you, you do accord me a lot more respect than you do. We need to that's right, back, right? backwards out of the room. Okay, I didn't mean to, didn't mean to derail that. But, um, so. so, yeah, no, I mean, Ash Wednesday is, uh, it's the beginning of Lent, the first day of, of Lent, the season of Lent. And uh, in Anglican, Lutheran, some Lutheran 
um, and some Methodist churches, that means you gather in your congregation. You may, um, this is why it's called Ash Wednesday, you may receive the imposition of ashes on your forehead in the shape of a cross. And the, the purpose of that is to uh, both remind you that you're mortal, right? The, uh, from ashes, from dust you came to dust you shall return. The ashes kind of point that out, that you're mortal, you're going to die, which is good to be reminded of. Um, but they also, but they also symbolize uh, mourning and uh, penitence, mourning for your sin and penitence for your sin. Um, the, the beautiful thing, I think, with, the, with, the, with the, the shape of the cross in an ash in your forehead is that it, is that it both, it both is a, it, the ash wrote both represents your penance and your sinfulness, but the shape of the cross represents Amen. the solution, right? right. So you have, you have the, because Christ died, the, your sins have died with him. Right. And, and so the prohibition against walking around with ashes on your head before the death and resurrection of Christ would never have been in the shape of a cross. So if you're, if you're looking for a, for a direct correlation between that prohibition, um, it cannot be one-to-one because it would never have been in the shape. In fact, it would have been rejected by the very people who would have pr- proudly paraded their ashes um, precisely because it was in the shape of a cross, which would have been a stumbling block. But but anyway, proceed. And, and we're not trying to hide that connection. We literally read Jesus's command not to yeah. walk around with a disfigured face on Ash Wednesday. That's the fascinating thing about the, lit- the, the, the liturgy is it, it has Matthew chapter six as, your, as, as the gospel reading. Uh, don't do your good works... Uh, uh, you know, don't give alms, don't fast, don't um, do things to be, don't pray in order to be seen by men, um, but do it secretly to, to be seen by your father in heaven. So, uh, so why on that day in particular, are you getting this big <laughs> ash cross uh, imposed in your forehead? And the answer to that is, is, is because it's, it's the anti, that's right. It's the anti sign. Instead of saying I'm righteous, look, I went to church mm-hmm. today and I got this right. sign. It's saying, look, my sins deserve death and hell, but Jesus died for me. So that's, right. that, that, that's the great thing about the sign is it, it just subverts all of that. Uh, the, and I would suggest things. that preachers, if they're using that lectionary text, need to directly address the seeming contradiction. Absolutely. And if you leave it hanging, then yeah. it will shame on you um, because <laughs> that, that's um, that's a real problem, cognitive right. dissonance right there. And it's also why Ash Wednesday must be preached and why we don't do things like ashes to go, you know, throwing ashes at somebody through the window of their car so that they can go to work and prove that they went to church that morning in some sense. Ash Wednesday yeah, no, must be preached. Ashes to go is, is, is a, a plague on this church. It's a horrible, horrible <laughs> thing. Why would you do that? I mean, you can't, I mean, unless you're going to have like a, a, a five or six minute conversation with everybody, but you sit down and talk to them about the cross and, mm-hmm. and the gospel it, you don't don't do that. You're you're confusing everybody. It makes now you know. Sense. I have to confess though. I had a I had a fairly powerful con uh, conversion to Ash Wednesday in college with with a I guess a a variation of ashes to go. Like we have a Catholic um, with the local Catholic church where I went to school had a chaplain who was very um, always on campus and a wonderful man. He's a bluegrass uh, uh, guitar player and everything. And he was standing there at the gym. Ironic, maybe purposefully i don't know like at the entrance of the gym like we're all running in there to escape death you know into into (laughs) eternal youth and um was giving ashes and in sort of good sort of baptistic vineyard whatever i grew up fashion um you know had run from those things because they were they were you know papist um my whole life 
And without going too far afield, let's just say life and college and reading and everything had brought me to a place where I was um, sort of considering the bigger questions of life and sort of existential dread for the first time and all these things. And it just came in, <clears throat> sort of clicked for me that Ash Wednesday, some, I guess it was 20, gosh, it was 23 years ago now, first time I ever took ashes on my head because all of a sudden the intersection of what they were actually preaching, even though there wasn't a sermon, but what, what I actually, you know, I knew enough about what was being said and what was being communicated to understand the significance. And all of a sudden, the intersection between my impending mortality, um, thanks to having read all the uh, sort of existential philosophers, you know, my, the fact that at any moment this life could be over and we're all, you know, one foot in the grave and all these things uh, had coincided with the actual hope, a renewed hope of the gospel. And it was a very powerful experience for me. So, again, I'm not I'm not advocating ashes to go because I did have a relationship with this man and I sort of understood thing. But I have to admit as much as I don't want to admit it, uh, that there was a <clears throat> powerful uh, use for something like a drive-by ashes uh, in my own life, which I, if I hadn't experienced, I would be much more, I would sit in the seat of scoffers, as uh, Psalmist <laughs> said, but uh, instead I, um, I have to just confess that, that that was my first time I ever took ashes, and I haven't, I haven't missed an Ash Wednesday since, and that was 23 years ago, but I'd never Wait. been to one before. I mean, God can use anything, right? I mean, of course. That's right. So, so yeah, I would I say it's normative. It was we a, have an a, exception. That's right. I have a parishioner who is one of the most faithful parishioners in our church, and he he came to Good Shepherd because he, before he was a Christian, he married a Mormon, and his wife was trying to be to, to lure him into Mormonism, and so he was he was reading the Book of Mormon. And then he read this, uh, his, his, oh, by the way, his father was my predecessor at Good, at Good Shepherd, um, but he wasn't a believer. Um, so he read, he was reading through the Book of Mormon, like trying to be a good husband. And then uh, he read one, one line, go back to the Good Shepherd. And so he said, this is God talking to me. I'm going back to the, I'm going to back to the Good Church, the Good Shepherd. And he heard the gospel, became a Christian. And so God used the Book of Mormon to... <laughs> <laughs> to pull him, out, pull him out of that stuff. So God can use anything, but yeah. sorry, but, but, but in but in general, I mean, Amen. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. You. I don't think we want to necessarily make a make a practice of. I agree. I agree. The, the, so with Scott with Clark, I thought it was I thought Doctor Clark's thing was very interesting because it's probably more about Lent than Ash Wednesday too. Yeah, I think what's, what's happening is in the evangelical reform world, people are becoming more liturgical. They're they're they're, they're fascinated with liturgy. And, and I think that some of the, uh, some of the more classical reform folks, uh, especially who adopt the regular principle, which I can talk about in a minute, are really finding that difficult. They, yeah. they, want, they want to pull them back into the fold. And so, and so. Well, it's uh, funny. Yeah. I mean, I got into all this back, you know, when we were in seminary, you know, the whole federal vision and we don't have to talk about all this, but you know, that whole fight between, you know, Peter Lightheart and Jim Jill, uh, uh, Jordan and, and Doug Wilson, all these guys in the federal vision over against Scott Clark and some of these other guys that were, um, I think Carl Truman even. And at the time, you know, I was like such a hot Protestant. I was like, you know, a church should just be a white box with a pulpit, (laughs) you know, like we don't, and if you even touch you know, if you have communion and you even look at it, you know, you're, you're a papist, <laughs> you know, don't even like stare. I mean, I was kind of in a, in a different, in a different place. Um, and I remember like reading and, and being very much uh, sort of c- convinced at the time, 
it was very short lived that um that this sort of uh, sort of extreme anti sacerdotalism perhaps if you want to say was was the way to go, and now I realize that that's what they were they were pushing back even then. So it's been like a twenty plus year uh, fight in the particularly the reform world against what they can see as an encroaching. Well, he said that we're sacerdotalism encroaching. You know, the, the sort of more sacramental reformed people are becoming uh, more Anglican. Really, looks like or you know actually uh, sort of baptizing babies. You know, not that the PC, I mean, the people, you know, sort of lighting candles, wearing robes, you know, things like this. And, and I think you're, you're obviously triggering some of the, some of that, Matt, um, which is, which is really interesting, but you want to talk more about your, the, the difference you see between the regulative and normative principle, I think could be helpful in this. this yeah. I mean, so, so um, the reason he, he, he categorized uh, Ash Wednesday and Lance as, as sacerdotal is because it does it, you know, the original practices practices did flow out of a church with uh, you know in the in large part the medieval church um, which saw the sacraments the participation in the sacraments by the individual um, as the means the means of both justification and ultimately final or final salvation. So, so um, Ash Wednesday and, and Lent in the Middle Ages uh, was had a had a particular uh, merit attached to it. I mean, your your participation in the in, in the in the practices associated with Lent and Ash Wednesday brought with it certain kind of rewards that you could earn. It's certainly, um, seen in one way, they look a lot like pilgrimages yeah and yeah they look right. a lot like indulgences yeah you could you you participate in these things you get you get more you get merit points and <laughs> to, to be crass you get you get uh you're you pleasing god and he rewards you and and, and yeah. you're 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 further on your way toward uh, uh toward heaven and maybe you even knock a few uh, thousand years off of your time in purgatory so 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 in that yeah. in that sense yeah if, they, if that's what lint is and if that's what what ash wednesday is well you know to the dustbin with it we don't want we don't want any of that um but but the um but it's not that it doesn't have to be that let's put it that way um the one of the things that cramner did is as as uh, our reformer our anglican reformer is he took like, he took the serum right actually the English serum right uh, Eucharistic right and he reformed it he he took he took the the pre existing the pre existing Eucharistic prayer and and ran it through the grid of Scripture and said okay well these these <clears throat> these things we can affirm and we're going to keep hey, these things, a little bit yeah with these things we contra- that contradict the scriptures so we're going to cut those out we're going to add this here take that out there. But but it was but instead of just just trashing the whole right altogether, he edited he reformed it according to the scriptures. Um, he was doing what we call uh, the the, the uh, well, he was in, uh, applying what we call the normative view of scripture, where you where you say okay we, the church can or is free to adopt or practice certain whatever disciplines do not conflict with the scriptures. So I would argue as an Anglican that we can do the same thing with Lent and with Ash Wednesday. We can take that, we can take that, that service and we can say, okay, yeah, we're not gaining any merit. We're doing actually the opposite. We're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to um, uh, center the gospel <laughs> through this, through this liturgy. And, and there's, there's an, there's a way to do that. And I think we do it well. And within the ACNA, 
um, is if we follow the liturgy and if we do, um, if we, if we keep the gospel front and center in our preaching, uh, the, the, the regular principle, which is what Dr. Clark would follow, would say, well, you can't, the church can't do anything if it's not prescribed, if it's not set forth in the scriptures. Do they only play timbrels in his yeah. church? Or yeah, well, I mean, only, like <laughs> in lute and harp. Well, they, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're, I mean, I think a key text is probably the the, the Leviticus uh, ten with uh, sons of Aaron deciding, you know, what we're going to do our own thing. God, God gave us this liturgy for the tabernacle, but we're gonna we're gonna take our censers and we're gonna offer strange fire. Um, right the lord and to the lord well, he just he just destroys them right um so from that from that uh regular principle folks say okay well that means that you know both in the old covenant era and in the new covenant era we don't do anything unless it's prescribed unless, unless you see the regulations for it laid out in the new testament so that's why, like you were saying a minute ago, uh, JD, that's why often in Reformed churches you'll find a white box, <laughs> a room like a white box, with no like, no adornment, right? It's like nothing. a holodeck before it's yeah, turned no, on. Yeah, nothing, and then you'll have a pulpit because you know preaching is there in the New Testament. Yeah. Um, and you'll have, uh, depending on the Reformed tradition, you you you'll have the Psalms, uh, either said or sung, um, depending on you know, that's the fight too. Uh, maybe maybe hymns, depending on on the tradition, but, but many, or so, so many, way don't, all the, all the excesses are cut out. So you have a very simple, simple, um, service with only those elements that you can find attested in the new Testament. And they do the same thing with polity, right? So they, they would reject the, the bishop, priest and deacon order. Yeah. You know, you think it's incidental or coincidental that a lot of these churches up in new England became Unitarians and are now, um, yeah. and are now sort of, um, you know, like Thomas Jefferson Unitarian yeah. church, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, um, you know, I mean, so since it's like personal, uh, anecdote day, but you know, before I got, um, ordained to be a deacon, I was really wrestling with a lot of these questions and we were over in Berlin. And again, this is when I was, I was, I was holding on to an idea of what it meant to be a Protestant that very much looked like a white box with a, with a pulpit and, uh, for all sorts of reasons, some good, some bad. And I, um, had at that point run into some, um, sort of physical difficulties. Laz and I were trying to have children and we were sort of, we were unable to have them for a while. And we were wrestling with sort of where is God and, you know, church was there. And it was really this intersection all of a sudden that was open to me through the Lutheran. So this is why I would sort of lovingly say I was an Anglo-Lutheran, but through a man named Oswald Bayer in particular, um, the intersection of sort of the, the, the created order and kind of the, the liturgical um, the baptizing of the, 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 the physicality of the church um, in, in the context of the gospel um, opened up for me the tradition, the Anglican tradition, in a way that I had never really experienced it before and really allowed me to not only go get ordained as a deacon, but now obviously as a priest and, and be full-throated support of um, our Anglican sort of way of doing worship, including um, Ash Wednesday and Lent, precisely because you know, it, at a certain point, the the worship of God, and I, this is not across the board for any all Reformed people. I have dear friends who are in the Reformed Church, but for me personally, um, there came a point where it was the worship of God with just my mind, 
uh, was going to um, reach its end, or at least it was going to, it was leaving me cold. And it was at the point where the intersection of worshiping God with your mind coincided with actually participating in the worship of God with my body, and then experiencing the, that intersection in the church, which, of course, I think you could argue and you could preach on Ash Wednesday is exactly what we're doing. You know, you're professing, you know, when Luther's, Luther's comment about you hear the gospel, you smell the gospel, you feel the gospel, you eat the gospel, you know, all of these various ways of the church preaching to you in, in, in the context of a service are important. Um, for me, that was, again, that was sort of a breakthrough. Um, and Laz and I really, we were wrestling whether or not we should just, you know, pitch it all and go rent scuba equipment in the Bahamas. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we didn't, but it was in part because of this resistance to uh, the quote unquote sacerdotalism, which, um, you know, I think there's a healthy fear of returning to the medieval Roman Catholic soteriological system. I think, you know, we should be aware of that. But, um, you know, I don't think someone said on Twitter the other day, you know, I don't think the average person looking at someone wearing a chasuble is considering is, is, uh, is usually considering the first thought that that, um, you know, the priest is re-sacrificing Christ for the treasury of merit in order to earn their, um, you know, uh, sort of justification into heaven. You know, that's probably not the first thought. And in fact, it probably wasn't the first thought of the people that even back in the time, the medieval times. But, you know, we should avoid that, obviously, and we should we should clarify that's not what we're doing. But we also should be aware of the fact that that in a in a desacralized world, you know, that is devoid of beauty and is is brutal and and harsh that the places where the church can reinvigorate and re um uh sort of well baptize this the the creation i mean we should take advantage of that i think um and of course we've seen that go awry you know we've seen that go off the rails but when it's when when a genuine sense of like liturgical, as you said, liturgical um, sensibilities is is grounded and submitted to the authority of Scripture primarily or exclusively, then given the freedom of what we're allowed to do, we can have great um, joy in in engaging all of our senses in whatever way we can towards the end of further encouraging, equipping, and strengthening people in their and their uh, confidence in the gospel. And I, th- I think that's what we're doing on, when we, when we do ashes on Ash Wednesday. I mean, I, I inherited a church, which was it's a very high church in its form. You know, we, we, I wear a chasuble every Sunday for the Eucharist. Right. But, you know, don't tell any Anglo Catholics, <laughs> but I tell my people that the chasuble represents the imputed righteousness of Christ. And so, <laughs> and so the, the, only, the only way I can well come done. to the table is if I'm wearing this beautiful, this beautiful chasuble over my own sin, sinful flesh. Right. So that's the only way I can come to the table. And, and so you can take these old forms, these old, these old liturgical signs and symbols and reform them. And and there's nothing wrong with doing that. I agree with that. (laughs) So what's Lent? What, what are we observing in Lent? Well, it's a, I mean, I think the, the season is set aside as a season of penitence leading up to the res- uh, celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, leading up to the Holy Week, which is the, recogn- the remembrance of his death. And then uh, Easter, the, the celebration of his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. Um, so leading up to that time, uh, the church invites her members to, uh, to examine their lives. I tell my people, all right, well, you should be repenting of your sins all year long. I mean, it's the, the Christian life is one of repentance, which Luther said, but, but you know, we're, we don't always think that way. We don't. We, we sometimes uh, forget to, to do that 
self-examination. So why don't we do take this time, examine yourself, ask God to help you see those things in your life, those sinful patterns, sinful habits that are uh, that are pressing down on you and, and, and use this season to, to wage war against them by the grace of God, Amen. um, offer them up to God, um, knowing, and here's the thing, this is where, this is why, this is what separates this from this kind of sacerdotalism that, that, uh, Dr. Clark was talking about, uh, knowing your sins are forgiven, uh, knowing that, that the reason that you press on toward the prize is because cry you press, press on as I think Paul says in, in Philippians three, you press on to take hold of of it because christ is already taking hold of you because you're already cry in christ that's why you do the work of of cultivating the the sometimes weedy garden of your soul because because he has already already uh, done the work of of bringing you to um to himself so you have this whole season set aside where you can do that work where you can say okay well here's this thing i really don't like about myself maybe i'm maybe Maybe you're watching porn and you need to stop doing that. Maybe you're drinking, like, like uh, drinking yourself silly every night. You need to stop doing that. Uh, maybe you're 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 just an incurable gossip. Maybe you maybe you have maybe you have a problem with the truth, where you just lie all the time because it's easy. You just sit around watching Zillow all the right. time, dreaming of the fact that you could have a better house than the one you do. For instance, um, that's not what I right. do, but I mean, people do that. Like it's a big it's big business. Pinterest. Uh, right. Right. So, so offer that up to God and ask him to help you and then try to do it. What, what you shouldn't do during Lent, and this, this is where I think maybe another way that we, we might differ with our Roman Catholic friends and others who, who practice Lent is, is if you're struggling with pornography, you know, don't give up chocolate. If you're, if, you're, if, you, if you have an issue, like if you're stealing stuff from this corner store every day, uh, don't go on a diet for Lent. That's just, just stop stealing stuff, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah, it often more. does become, and it does become like a second chance, like a spiritual New Year's resolution for people. Um, you know, that's, and you know, I grew up, when, I mean, I grew up in Baton Rouge, uh, which is, um, you know, 60 miles from New Orleans, uh, which as far as I knew growing up, it was basically synonymous with Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, New Orleans, but, <laughs> uh, but precisely because of what took place during, um, no offense to anyone, of, uh, who's of our listener that lives in New Orleans, but that was an effective <laughs> rhetorical technique for my parents uh, to teach me. But it was precisely because Mardi Gras, you know, the famous holiday and all the, the preceding um, festivities leading up to it was, was an incredible um, sort of display of the misunderstanding of Lent and this sort of moralistic God, if God exists, I mean, I don't think there was a very pious, uh, it's not a lot of, um, a lot of piety going on in Mardi Gras, but lightly, but nevertheless, you know, you had this tradition that developed that was like, well, we're about to pay back all the things that we're just going to, you know, we're about to pay for all of the things we're spending. And so we might as well just blow it out on Mardi Gras because once Lent starts, well, then we can sort of atone for all the sins that we've done. And so we're just going to get, and it gets grander and grander and grander. And, you know, that's entirely, you know, it's like the, the person who's going to have, you know, I'm going to quit smoking tomorrow. So I'm going to smoke, you know, 75 packs of cigarettes today. It's like, you're, you're missing the point about even the, the idea of one, the joy that possibly could come from smoking. And two, the reason you might want to quit in the first place, you know, you're just, you're the whole system is wrong. And so I think that was, that's definitely carried over into smaller degrees of people's observance of Lent when they're sort of, um, you know, when they, they're, uh, we should say not regular church, let's say they're, they're not, they're not deeply attuned to the rhythms of the church calendar, perhaps, I think that's the nicest way to put it, except for maybe Lent. 
And so Lent becomes exactly that, Matt. Like I'm going to give up something that I tried to give up on New Year's. Um, I know I should give up anyway. And, you know, well, thank goodness on Sundays we can, we have a, um, you know, feast day anyway. So I can, um, you know, I can sort of. I, I don't watch porn uh, Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday. <laughs> well, and I can't wait these, for Easter. <laughs> but you hear about these terrible uh, casuistic ways of getting around Lent all throughout history. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. you get like the, um, what was it? There's a, um, there's something in German but I can't remember what it is. But basically it's a giant dumpling filled with meat, you know, the supposedly because it looked like a dumpling, you could You're like, um, fooling God. yeah, or like ravioli or something like this, but you know, you could somehow like get around the, the, the prohibitions. Um, yeah. And of course we do that as sinful people, but I think that's again where the gospel comes back in, because if you're, if the proclamation is that nothing is you do during Lent will bring you further or closer away from what Christ has purchased for you, well, then you've given the freedom to actually consider, well, what are the things that are hurting me? You know, like you pray, I mean, I pray uh, leading up to every Lent that I would actually be further convicted and deeper more deeply aware of the things that are genuinely hurting my love of God. And, and then by extension, my love of neighbor, which in this case, most notably is usually my wife and kids, you know, where am I being selfish? Where am I being, um, you know, quick to anger? Where am I being, uh, you know, provoking my children to wrath? You know, where am I, where am I doing these things that are actually, um, you know, they're expedient for me because I don't feel like, you know, getting up off the couch when I'm reading my book, but, you know, maybe I could consider that during this season to be to be intentional um, for for my sake and for their sake. And that's a totally different way of looking at it than, you know, today I'm going to yell at my children as much as I can, because for the next 40 days, I'm going to make up for that you know, or, or some some idea of that. Again, back to your, your original point that the people that dismiss the, again, the quote unquote sacerdotal aspects of our tradition have um, too lightly, in my opinion, looked at the ways that people like you and me, and, and of course, we're just standing on the shoulders of, of people that have gone before us, have actually thought deeply about how to appropriate some of these traditions in gospel-centered, biblically um, sort of orthodox ways actually for pedagogical and ultimately discipleship reasons and to just dismiss it because it's quote unquote papist or something or or sacerdotal is just it's just lazy and it's um and it's really in my opinion missing something to the beauty of what we actually have to all offer the people you know i mean i love it like my kids for instance i tell them on ash wednesday the cross that they received at baptism is you could, you could see it one day a year you know one day because i know where it is and the, you know the priest put it in the same place and so every so for like the whole year they're like when is the day when we can see our cross again and i'm like well jesus sees it but it's coming on ash wednesday and you know and it's there and it's marked you and and this is the one of the great joys. And that's just a little side, you know, way, but it's another, you know, another arrow in the quiver, another, another um, layer of the thickness of our tradition, which when it's biblical and gospel centered is a beautiful thing to behold. That's and another way to preach the gospel. That's exactly and right. Like when I was in my, I think a, a <clears throat> stage that it sounds like we all shared at least for a little while, my own church should be an unadorned white <laughs> box with no Matt Kennedy's lighting up the holodeck. He's the lighting holodeck up a pipe stage. right now. We are we're so no, so, yeah. so Anglican. I can't is believe that it. That, that's that Hobbit weed you're smoking, Matt. <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's what it is. But anyway, when I was in that when I was in that phase of my own life, and I I was like, you know, Lent was out first thing. Like you know, I was never good at keeping 
resolutions anyway. So Lent was the idea, like, why would I, you know, take another law onto my life? I'm, I'm about the gospel, not the law. So it was like, I, I would never do anything for Lent. I would never counsel anybody to do anything for Lent. But then I don't exactly know how this switch was flipped for me, but it came to my attention that I needed to be reminded of just what the law was in my life. So when I considered Lent, all of a sudden it was, don't reject doing anything. How about you think about what the law might really require of you? <laughs> like, don't have any anger in your heart. Don't look at a, at a, at a woman lustfully. Like, these are what the laws actually are. Like, sure, I can, I can dress modestly for a month or whatever, but to, to actually purify my heart is something that is a quote unquote discipline that reminds me just like an Ash Wednesday every day where I'm, I'm constantly reminded of my need and my humanity and my sin and my desperate need for a redeemer, which counterintuitively, I think actually sort of lifts the Lenten gloom. We don't say Alleluia in church in Lent. We have, we say the first syllable of Alleluia for the first like three weeks of Lent. And then just when we remember not to say it, then Lent's over. But um, the, the gloom of Lent is actually lifted when you realize how the gospel is proclaimed through it, that, that you're no less or more in need of hearing that good news in Lent than you were all year long. And so all of a sudden Lent is in a sense just a, a focused celebration of what we're doing every day of the Christian yeah. life anyway. Yeah. yeah, the climax, the climax is holy is uh, Holy Week, and, and the climax of Holy Week is Good Friday with with the um, with the remembrance of, of Jesus's death. And so, I mean, everything, all all the things that you are offering up to God, all the all the sin, all the 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 muck, the the rubbish, or whatever you gotta you gotta muck out of your soul, or that Jesus is mucking out of your soul. Uh, all these things you're offering up to God are, are need to be seen in the shadow of the cross, and that that looms over the whole over the whole season. So, so it's not, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a dual nature for of the Christian life where you, you feel like you're doing a lot of work. Like, it, so if you have a real sinful habit that you've, you've indulged in for a long time, and I, I use pornography because I've just been talking to a bunch of guys in my church, but uh, who have this issue, but um, so it, 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 pornography is not something you just throw over like in a day unless without supernatural God, just God can, of course, free you of that in one day but but in most people it takes it takes time and work you have to make a conscious decision every day you know not to look at the stuff um you're gonna fall and when you fall you gotta say okay well i fail i've got to i've got to receive the forgiveness of jesus and and you know make the next step of this so it feels like work right it all feels like work at the same time paul tells us that the, the only reason you're doing the work the only reason you're just you want to do the work is because of the God working in you to, to do, to will, is to give you the will, which you wouldn't have otherwise, and to empower you to do it. So any success you make along those lines, even though it feels like your work is Christ's work in you. And it's and so indeed work that's occurred. already completed. That's well, right. given well, to it, you. The, the redemption. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The, 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 um, it's not like you're, and you're never working toward, oh my goodness, I better, mm -hmm. I better get this done or I'm not going to be saved. So you are saved. And so you're, and so this is working out your salvation, not working for your salvation. You're working out. That's right. I have a friend who says that this is a race run on the far side of the finish line, Yeah, which right. I think it's is a, a lovely yeah. image of right. the race is won. It's over. It's complete. You've been given the victory. And now you can run in light of that victory.
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I was uh, pointing to when you, you pray for an awareness of the of a, of a deepening of your own conviction, you know, not, not, not a sense of your condemnation, you know, the condemnation has been taken, but a sense of conviction of to where you actually are, are hindering your, your love again for God. And then by extension, your love for neighbor. And, and it's a, uh, it's, it should be as painful as, you know, self-discipline can be uh, when it's directed towards a self-sacrificial love for someone who you genuinely love. You're both brought up short, realizing how, you know, paltry often your supposed love for other people actually is, you know, you're like, I, I say, I love you until it's, you know, three in the morning and, you know, which one of us is pretending that the baby's not crying, um, you know, so we can, um, you know, stay sleeping for instance, uh, sort of thing. <laughs> um, or, or, but then, you know, even in that you confess, like you said, Matt, you confess and repent and pray and trust that God will actually use this season, um, to at least clarify and bring to light something that you might deal with the rest of the year if not the rest of your life, you know, I mean, it could be, you know, an incremental, you know, Lent, you know, Lent for the next 10 Lents, the next 10 years of your life, you're going to be, you're going to be being refined, you know, but this could be the one where it actually begins to take root. And that's the prayer. And that's the hope. And I think, um, you know, I was often, often, um, struck by people well i think as a younger man i must have said this to people you know you you're giving up this for lent like why not just give it up you know every day every day should be lent and, you know and the rejoinder now would be like well maybe every day should be lent what are you giving up in fact you know it's like it's like well i decided to you know quit um you know breaking all the 10 commandments in my heart this lent it's like well that's a that's pretty you probably should stick with that you know <laughs> good, good on you um you know but i but i think it was it was it was a defensiveness in my life, and I can just confess this, and I don't know where people are, that to the extent that there was a there was a sense in which the people were embracing Lent in the exact way that Jesus was was admonishing people not to, that there was a kind of a spiritual 40 days of like, you know, I'm going to be super spiritual during these 40 days. Like I'm going to go to church five times a day and I'm going to tell you about it. And I'm going to, you know, take pictures of my Instagram journaling, you know, at four in the morning and I'm going to, you know, do all this super spiritual stuff just for this 40 days. And I think that was, I think in retrospect, I think that's exactly why some of the resistance to it is in when that, that actually smacks something of standing on the street corner or disfiguring your face and kind of parading your righteousness for people. But if you have, again, the, the gospel, the, the crucicentric idea of what Lent's all about, meaning that it was all about the, your inability to save yourself and your, um, you know, but for the grace of God go I, well, then it, it'd be hard to really understand that and at the same time parade your your spiritual Lenten disciplines before other people. And I think that's where, again, back to your point, Nick, that the preaching, the teaching, and the discipleship, the, the actual training of people in the season, in the liturgy, and the reason, reasons why we do it is, is of the utmost importance because we're missing an opportunity to, to use this as an incredible sermon, uh, not only on Ash Wednesday itself, which is a great thing. You know, I mean, if you actually, um, I mean, I am so heartened by people that I walk by that would have um, ashes on their foreheads. You know, the people that I would never, you go to the gym, you go to the bank, you go to the store and you see people uh, with ashes on their heads. And it's like, you know, it's like for one day, 
all the Christians came out of the woodwork and you can sort of see each other, you know, I mean, that, that's kind of, I mean, my sort of romantic idea, think, think about it, but, but beyond that, you have this season where everyone is given an opportunity to explain. And as it were, as Peter says, give the reason for the hope within them. Um, and if we, we can give people the right words to use and able to articulate the reasons and why we do it, it's a real opportunity to, um, to, to point people towards the real meaning of, of Lent. And then by extension obviously the greater hope and real meaning of easter and, they, and that's what i've enjoyed over these past what 20 years now teaching and preaching lent um because you know when you have somebody kind of get the vision that it's not just a super spiritual um sort of christian new year's resolution but it actually is an opportunity to to lay your heart open before god in in view of his mercies um then it it changes everything so what are you all doing for Ash Wednesday and Lent, you guys? So we have we have two services, one at uh, 7 a.m. and one at 6 p.m. Same same service, not yeah. So uh, for people who want to get ashes in the morning, who want ashes in the evening, um, and we use the you know we 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 use the traditional lectionary. Most yeah. of us, and I think I think you're right about. If you're going to preach on, well, you should preach on Ash Wednesday, and what you, I think you should preach on Matthew chapter six, mm-hmm. um, and explain the right use of the ashes, why why you're doing this thing, um, and why you're not doing this thing. Is not, and, and if because if, if you're going to have people, at least in my area of the country, maybe yours too. I don't think so as much as yours, but as much in yours, but in mine, we have a lot of lapsed Roman Roman Catholics who. Would be looking for an Ash Wednesday service. Yeah, you'll you know, never, just, you've, you've never seen before. Yeah. Exactly. So they're they're going to come into the church and they're going to and they're going to be thinking, okay, well, hey, I, I'm here's I know I've not come to church for the last two years, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get this little star in my crown, and uh, and I'll be able to to at least erase some of my sins, and you know maybe I'll have less time in purgatory. Um, and so you want to make sure because, <laughs> because that's that, that's the way some people are going to be. In my area of the country, you want to make sure you are just undercutting that whole idea from the from the get go. If you are in any way relying on any kind of work of the law or any kind of religious act to make yourself acceptable before God, well, uh, listen. I have to good Paul. news for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, first Come of all, it's to all the right rubbish. place. Yeah. It's all dust and ashes, right? Yeah. So that's all dust and ashes. It's not going to work. But but there's a there's but there but you have a God in heaven who loves you and yeah. who sent His Son. Um, to to fulfill the law on your behalf, and he's done that, he's completed that, and then then the sins you've committed, he's taken to his tomb. So uh, he's taken to his cross. So there's no, uh, you're not adding anything to that work. You, you can't add anything to that work. You you it's it's impossible to add anything to that work. That's why it has to be that you're justified by faith and not by works. Because if if Christ hadn't done the whole thing, if he hadn't finished, if he hadn't fulfilled the law, if, he, if his death was somehow insufficient, then yeah, there might be work for you to do. And, and to say that there is, that you have to do something to add to that is to de- devalue his sacrifice. So, right. so you're already, you're, if you're trying in any way to earn earn a place before, before God, but take this cross on your forehead, this ashy cross, if of your sin with him, and and his redemption and 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 uh, the, the price that he paid for your uh, for your for you to bring you into the family of his father and and to make you his brother. Um, so so go and, and rejoice. Do you all change your Sunday services at all for Lent? 
We do the we do the decalogue. Yeah, we do the the litany on the first Sunday in Lent, um, and I think we're going to sing it this year, which would be cool, and then or chant it. Um, and then we sacerdotalism. do sacerdotalism. <laughs> Romans go home. <laughs> um, we uh, and then we do the Decalogue uh, the rest of the Sundays out of the other three. And then we have a, we actually have a children's service, a Nash Wednesday children's service that um, where we try to explain, um, sort of have an instructed um, ashing um, in sort of you know elementary school you know, begin raising them up as early as possible in this gospel centric version of Ash Wednesday, instead of some sort of um, mystical moralism. Well, it sounds like we have some Ash Wednesdays and Lent's in front of us, prayers for your churches, prayers for the, the services and churches that our listeners will attend, that the bad news is proclaimed that we are dust and to dust we shall return, but that the good news is proclaimed all the more that Christ even at our grave we make our song alleluia alleluia that's right amen well that's going to be all the time we have this week we did have a couple audio issues there at the end i'm going to try to work some editing magic around them but our apologies if any of them sneak through if you want to keep the conversation going with us you can be in touch uh, rate and review the podcast on itunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you for listening today. Thanks to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week in Lent. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 o